the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and hour number two is underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Wednesday, the twelfth morning of the month of September in the year of our Lord 2018. Thanks so much again to Sergeant Demetric Penny. Uh, listen, I, I was just made aware uh, during the break um, that what the last caller may have been talking about was the um, apparently there was an EAS test that happened without my knowledge. So if that conversation was interrupted by that, then obviously my answer to the caller made no sense whatsoever. I thought he was just talking about the fact that we had a, you know, a few moments of, of pause and, and silence because we were, uh, you know, having to deal with the delay, the cell phone delay. He may have been talking about, uh, an EAS test. So we're trying to figure out what happened. And if that did happen, that should not happen during a live show like this. Uh, typically speaking, it does not. I don't know what happened. But if that's what he meant to my last caller, I think it was Paul, maybe in Hinkley. I apologize for not knowing what you were talking about. I was just made aware during the break of that. So having said that, we'll move into hour number two now and talk about national security, an appropriate theme considering yesterday's program, which was another commemorative uh, episode um, honoring uh, the uh, the the anniversary of the worst terror, terror attack in the history of the United States. It was 17 years ago yesterday that we had al-Qaeda terrorists carrying out uh, that horrific uh, attack, four jets hijacked. We spent the entire day talking about it, and now I want to talk about the reconstitution of the organization that was behind all of that 17 years later when we talk about al-Qaeda. And to do that, nobody better than Ryan Morrow. Ryan is the chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network, national security advisor at the Clarion Project, the Shulman Fellow for the Clarion Project as well, and he's our regular guest here on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hey, it's great to be with you, Bob. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Ryan. So 
Obviously, yesterday, uh, you know, 17 years on, uh, there, there was another chance to reflect on what happened then, but also, of course, to look now at what has happened over the last 17 years with respect to national security. We have been at war with radical Islamic extremists for a long time, uh, certainly more so since we went into Afghanistan after the 9-11 hijackings and the attacks in 2001. Now, it was believed for a while that a whole lot of great work had been done against al-Qaeda, that they had been decimated. They certainly, uh, the Taliban was routed from Afghanistan, uh, and they were weakened considerably. And over the course of the last several years, we have been more preoccupied with a different terror group, of course, with respect to the Islamic State, ISIS, if you will. Um, ISIS is all but gone. And now, according to num- numerous reports that I read yesterday uh, and heard yesterday, Ryan, we're being told that al-Qaeda has reconstituted itself. It has strengthened to its its highest level, or it's at its strongest level, if you will, since we went into Afghanistan in 2001. Tell me if that's accurate. I would say that the threat has evolved. I would not go so far as to say, as many analysts would, um, that al-Qaeda is stronger now. By some metrics, they are. Um, overall, I would say they are not as strong because we are stronger. Uh, the stronger we are, the weaker they are, because it's a, you're comparing two powers. Um, but in terms of uh, having like an actual army coming close to creating its own state, uh, when you look at Somalia, Yemen, Syria, and to, to some degree Libya um, and Mali, al-Qaeda is stronger than it was on 9-11, uh, because they have actual armies there now, um, and you're talking about militants um, that are forming an army of like twenty to thirty thousand in Syria alone, uh, and so they've never had that before. Um, but in terms of having a, a safe haven uh, like they had in Afghanistan uh, before we went in, uh, they don't have something like that. Um, and, and again, we are also stronger. Uh, one of the things that people need to be aware of. Um, and this is a little bit of inside baseball, but I think it's important for people to know, is that for commentators and analysts, there's always this competition to get on TV and to get op-eds, and the temptation is always there to say the threat is worse than ever, or whatever it is you're talking about is bigger or worse than ever. Um, so that's going to get the headlines. Um, I think some important points are made by those that, have, that are saying that al-Qaeda is a bigger threat now than it was on 9-11, but the overall case, Despite the incentives for me to fully agree with that, um, I'm not going to. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and I want to be clear, too, Ryan, because I wasn't suggesting that they're stronger than they were then or that they are as strong as they, as they were then, but that they are at their strongest point since then, since we weakened uh, them in 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, and on down, uh, that they have had time now because our focus has been taken off of them in large part and put on you know ISIS and other threats, that, that they've had an opportunity to be the strongest they are since then, not as strong as they were then. Sure, and I wasn't referring to you. I was referring to um, other okay. people that are m- making analytical judgments on this. I just want people to, to understand that sometimes uh, those that come to the forefront are those with the angle that gets attention as opposed to uh, you know what might be the most substantive analysis. Um, but I would say since 9-11, um, al-Qaeda was probably stronger in 2003, 2004, when Iraq was, or, or up to 2006, when Iraq was in really bad shape before the surge. Um, and then al-Qaeda and ISIS kind of come from the same circle. And then when ISIS burst onto the scene, um, that, was, that was very terrifying with how quickly they were seizing territory. 
Um, so I would actually say that they are not in as strong of a spot as they have been since 9-11. But these things very rapidly change. It really only needs, they really only need to win a battle somewhere where they seize territory and get attention for radical forces, radical recruits to say, okay, well, I left Al-Qaeda, I'm going back to them because now Allah is on their side. That's really all it takes. And then you have a domino effect like you saw with ISIS, where one victory very, very rapidly turns into another and another and another. We're talking to Ryan Morrow, National Security Analyst uh, for the Clarion Project, the chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. So um, let me ask you this, um, with respect to ISIS, since I kind of said, and I think almost everybody has, has acknowledged that ISIS is, is, is all but wiped out, and, and particularly in Syria, but there is a battle right now for perhaps their, lo- their last stronghold in Syria, and, and I want you to make some sense out of three names, uh, three nations, of course. One would be Syria and Bashar al-Assad and their, uh, in his, you know, ever-growing, um, an ongoing uh, attempt to, uh, established with, um, uh, you know, the heavy hammer of his military and of his chemical weapons control of his nation with the support of Putin and Russia and with the support of Iran. Nikki Haley, our U.N. ambassador, made statements this week saying, uh, essentially warning um, Russia and Iran uh, to not test us and to not support a nation like Syria if they're going to continue to use chemical weapons. Um, and uh, General Mattis, if I heard this, I'm paraphrasing this as well, the defense secretary essentially said uh, that they lost some, Assad that is, lost 17% of their pointy, I think, how did he phrase it, pointy-tipped uh, 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 Air Force. Um, and if they wish to make that situation worse, go ahead and test us again if they use chemical weapons again. So can you give us a, paint us a picture of what's going on there with respect to Assad, ISIS's continued presence in Syria, their last stronghold, and of course the, um, uh, the intervention of their, uh, of their allies in Russia and in Iran? Sure. So there's kind of two battles going on within Syria. You have along the Iraqi-Syrian border, that's uh, where ISIS is kind of making its last stand, where the caliph al-Baghdadi is, is said to be hiding um, along the valley there with the Euphrates. Um, and, and it's a big piece of territory, so there's a lot of room to hide. Um, and, and it is quite a fight, that last person percent or so of ISIS territory in Iraq and Syria that needs to be taken, but it's basically true that as a territorial entity, ISIS is just about gone, and that's always been their claim to fame. So when people say ISIS is going to live on, uh, yeah, it's technically true because the jihad's going to live on, and people that are jihadists just need to attach their name to an organization, uh, but their legitimacy, their pull, really does come from having territory, uh, and so that's going to end up being their downfall, so I'm optimistic on that end. In Syria, in the northwest, in Idlib province, that's where a lot of the jihadist groups like al-Qaeda and groups similar to al-Qaeda have congregated, and I'm sure there's some rebels in there that aren't as bad as al-Qaeda, maybe there's some secular forces in there, um, but by and large, it, it, it is jihadist forces. That's kind of been the, their spot for fighting the Assad regime, fighting the Iranian-backed Hezbollah forces. Um, and so this is said to be the last stage of the Syrian civil war, unless Assad goes after the Kurds, as he has indicated he's very willing to do. Um, but... Uh, so this is the battle now. This is the battle of the Syrian civil war. 
Um, and it's hard to root for any side in Idlib province because you do have it's Salafi jihadists fighting against Assad, Russia, and Iran. Uh, right. That 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 was going to be it, there. That that was going to be my question to you. If this is a football game, what jersey are we wearing here in the United States? What is in our best interest? Again, because Nikki Haley is warning Russia and Iran again of dire consequences if they continue airstrikes against uh, that last rebel-held area that you just mentioned. And and said we would respond to any use of chemical weapons. So it, it makes it sound like we're in support of the Assad regime. But but then again, as you pointed out, you know that that's a problem for us as well. We don't if we don't have a rooting interest there in terms of you know we, we it's not good for us if either side wins. What are we supposed to do on the sidelines here? Well, for the you have to look at Syria as being broken apart into a bunch of pieces, and so this very important piece uh, in Idlib province. If I had to choose who I would prefer to control that territory, the Al-Qaeda-type jihadists or Assad and the Iranians, I actually go with Assad and the Iranians. That's what I thought. Yeah, but the problem is that the civilians and refugees, everyone's packed into this area. And Assad's strategy and Russia's strategy is not to get bogged down in any type of urban warfare. You just destroy the place. And so this is a spot where if you have no morals at all, it makes sense to use chemical weapons. And apparently there's intelligence indicating Assad is very shortly get, getting ready to use them. And that's why these warnings are, are coming forth. So would that, would, that tip your, would that tip your support the other way then? If, 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 we, if we support Assad you know, in a limited basis, on, you know, as you said, kind of picking between the lesser two evils. If we support Assad and then he uses chemical weapons, does that, does that change your line of thinking, Ryan? And should it change ours? It's such a tough call. I would say no. I would say, um, no. Uh, I would say if he uses chemical weapons, our policy is you, you do not use chemical weapons, so he is kind of spitting in our faces, then you've got to hit him for it. But do you hit him so hard that then the Civil War goes on longer and he fails to capture Idlib? Um and then the jihadists established their their stronghold even further. Yeah, uh, Mattis again. Mattis said we're 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 going to stand up to Assad. He said again, quote, the first time around, he lost seventeen percent of his pointy nosed Air Force airplanes. He's been warned, and we'll see if he's wised up. Indicating we will hit them again and even harder, which would, as you say, uh, you know, further the civil war and and strengthen the uh, the ability of the jihadists, Al Qaeda, and others to uh, you know to to establish a bigger footprint. This is a very difficult situation to analyze. That's why we have you on, though. Ryan Morrow, uh, Clarion Project. I want to talk to you on the other side briefly about New Mexico. Charges have been filed against the extremist, uh, Islamic extremists there who are raising what they hoped to be a bunch of school shooting uh, children. Uh, we'll talk about that next as we continue. AM 1420, The Ten twenty-five. Now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We continue with Ryan Morrow. Ryan is the chairman of the uh, Clarion Intelligence Network, national security analyst and Shillman Fellow at ClarionProject.org. Make sure you go to ClarionProject.org. Okay, Ryan. Uh, we were all just thrown for a loop a couple of weeks ago when a judge dropped the charges essentially against the uh, adults who were 
uh, living in that garbage-made compound in New Mexico. Uh, one three-year-old child found dead of malnutrition and other things. Others, uh, uh, children in very, very dire conditions as well. And come to find out they were keeping them in those conditions uh, in order to essentially control them. And they were trying to raise them to become school shooters, to carry out jihad inside of schools. While they dropped the charges, a, a judge did. Apparently it was more of a procedural thing because new charges have been filed now. And that's where we pick up the story. What can you tell us? Right. So the latest news is that a grand jury indicted uh, the five adults involved in the New Mexico compound, which is good because that means they are going to be held. Uh, with a series of mistakes and weird decisions that have been made thus far, uh, in, in the back of all of our minds we had to wonder, uh, even if they get arrested on multiple charges, uh, are they going to just be let out like they were last time? Uh, but now that's not going to be the case because they're indi- indicted on federal charges uh, in regards to the handling of weapons uh, in preparation for these terrorist attacks that they were planning. Um, but the the bigger story here is for me is really just about the compound issue and the fact that this happened. Uh, so the, are all of these things different happened? The fact that you had a compound that was set up, uh, the fact that the FBI knew about it and kept saying they didn't have probable cause to go in, so the local police had to go in on their own. Um, the fact that the prosecutors messed up in terms of filing uh, some of the charges, and so a lot of the charges were dropped, and then they were about to go free. The judge who <laughs> who made that really crazy decision and said they could get on a, on a signature bond, not even put money down. I mean, it was just like this is a microcosm of all the mistakes that are that happened in the federal government in regards to counterterrorism, except they all exist within one case. Ryan Morrow uh, joining us with NFA. That is all very troubling and very concerning. And let me ask you also about what, a tweet that you uh, threw out there last night about this. The fact that uh, so much of, of what we're talking about right now happened on September 11th. The uh, federal grand jury indicted them on September 11th yesterday. Um, it, just coincidence, or is there a significance to that? You pointed it out. I don't know if they did it on purpose. Uh, I mean, whoever was doing the indictment, whoever was involved, I think would have to notice that it was on the anniversary almost to deliver a point. I'm speculating on my part, but I think it's very reasonable because how do you do this to say, oh, it's September 11th, not notice the connection there. Right. Um, but, but this really, you look at what happened on 9-11 and you look at the indictment, it's just interesting to see how you can take those two cases and, and compare those, those the event and then the anniversary and see how the threat has evolved. Um, the other thing that I just tweeted out, because I, I just remembered it, um, and it's kind of shocking that I forgot about it, uh, was a story that I broke uh, a few years ago about declassified uh, Bush White House documents that showed on September 11, 2001, Bush was scheduled to meet with individuals from the Muslim Brotherhood lobby in the United States and groups connected to Hamas on September 11, 2001. The reason the meeting didn't happen was because of jihadist terrorist attacks. I mean, I mean, the irony there is just amazing. And, and, yeah. and that just shows, I mean, that also as a, as a teaching tool so people can see how high-level Muslim Brotherhood-type jihadists got. Um, it, it's really just shocking to me. 
It really is. And, uh, and again, I don't think there's any coincidences with respect to the date. And we should also, because of that, remember that it was also September 11th that the terrorists chose in 2012 to attack our consulate in Benghazi. Uh, that was an extraordinarily uh, serious event, obviously, at the time. And over the course of the last several years, we have come to learn more about it and how it was carried out and the lies that were told to us by the Obama administration over it. So, no, it's not just an accident that these things keep happening on September 11th, including, I don't believe, the indictments that you just talked about in New Mexico. Ryan, next time we talk, please remind me, we're out of time now, but I want to talk about a particular movie trailer that I've seen. I want to talk about uh, Mount Sinai and your your documentary that you are putting together, which is looks phenomenal. I've seen the trailer, um, and the next time we talk, we'll make sure that we explain to everybody what this is all about. Sound all right? Sure thing. Appreciate your time, as always. Ryan Morrow uh, from the Clarion Project joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take your phone calls after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike Gallagher, coming up at 11 on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-five now. The Bob France Authority continues. AM fourteen twenty. The answer will take you until eleven o'clock. At eleven o'clock, you will be treated to the news talk stylings of Mr. Mike Gallagher, followed, of course, by the Dennis Prager show at noon. Michael Medved, Jay Sekulow, Larry Elder, Joe Walsh. I, uh, I'll be in for Larry tomorrow night, by the way. So I always enjoy the opportunities to speak with the uh, national audiences of these brilliant talk show hosts and and, and analysts. Uh, I did Prager on Monday. I've got Larry uh, tomorrow night. So just a little programming note if you have the radio on tomorrow I'll try to tune it over to 1420 and uh and i'll be sitting in for the sage from south central um i want to hit this social media story a little bit more and i'll uh, phone lines are open by the way 216-901-0945 don't mean to shut you out i just have a lot of stuff to talk about 888-281-1110 i i spoke about twitter and its shadow banning and its uh continued censorship of conservative voices um I want to talk about Google, which is one of the tech giants, which is oftentimes left off the hook. Uh, It shouldn't be, because they are extraordinarily dangerous, and perhaps maybe even more dangerous to the idea of free speech, free association of ideas, free expression, rather, of ideas, uh, whether they be conservative, liberal, or somewhere in between. Maybe more influential than, um, than Twitter or Facebook. Why? Because, well, you can choose whether or not you want to have a Facebook account or a Twitter account and participate in the, uh, you know, in, in the battle, the political battles on those platforms, if you wish. And I do those things, as mentioned. But Google isn't automatically thought of as a place for political battle. Google is a search engine. And it's such a popular search engine that it has become its own verb in the dictionary. You don't search for things online anymore. You Google them. I mean, yeah, there are other search engines, but try to find them. Try to find the, those which come standard on any operating system, on a, on a computer or on a phone. Um, you know, I suppose the Apple iPhone does have the Safari uh, search engine, and that's their browser, rather, uh, and, and you can search on that. But, I mean, obviously, Google is far and away the most used search engine, and I'm guilty. I use the phrase on the air all the time. I say I Googled something, and I found this. Uh, it, it's a verb, and it's how you search. And that's a problem, because when you have control of what people see and when they see it, 
your political or cultural or societal biases uh, are going to impact people far more than Twitter can by simply censoring Twitter or conservative voices or Facebook can by blocking uh, conservative accounts. When you control the means by which people find out information, you are very, very dangerous and you have to be regulated. And I don't believe for one second that Google is regulated. Google, we know, is off the charts liberal. I mean, all of these Silicon Valley companies, all of these monsters, whether it be Apple or whether it be Twitter, whether it be Facebook, Microsoft, all of these left, leftist you know, tech giants have their own place. But in terms of the hierarchy of, um, of, of liberal expansion and conservative uh, regression, conservative uh, repression is a better word, not regression, repression or suppression, even better. Keep getting better the more I speak. Um, Google is, is the worst because they, you know, when you say, I want to learn more about, for example, if you just type into the Google search engine, Syria, you're going to get, obviously, pages and pages of results, but it's the order in which these things are, are given that will impact what you think of it. If you type in, I don't know, illegal immigration, the order of the results that you get are going to determine what you see because most people aren't going to go past the first two or three search results. Most people aren't going to the bottom of the first page, and they're sure as heck not clicking next to go to the next page. They're going to see what they want you to see, and almost almost exclusively Google populates their search result pages with information from the left-leaning mainstream Hashtag fake news organizations. You're going to get the MSNBC or NBC result first. You're going to get the CBS, the ABC, the New York Times, the Washington Post. You're going to get the Huffington Post. You're going to get so many. You're going to have to hunt to get a result on a search result on Google to get a, a Breitbart story or to get a, a, um, a town hall story or to get a Fox News story. Or to get a, a hot air story. You have to hunt for them. And most people don't. They just go with what they find first. Now that's a big, long explanation to explain how dangerous Google is. In order to shine a spotlight on what Tucker Carlson did last night. Tucker Carlson pretty much blew the cover off of the 2016 election influence charade. As he read an internal email... Not last night, I'm sorry, Monday night. Not last night, Monday night. I watched it yesterday. He read an internal email on his program from a senior Google employee who admitted using company resources to make a, quote, silent donation to a liberal group that was creating ads and donating funds to bus Latinos to voting stations during the election in key swing states in an effort to help Hillary Clinton win. Let me say that again. And Tucker had all of the details. Google employees using the company's resources to donate to groups that are helping Hillary Clinton win. In other words, they're not providing you search results on the 2016 election. They are trying to create the result of the 2016 election. The, the email was sent by the former head of Google's multicultural marketing department, Eliana Mario, November 9th, 2016. The email was subsequently forward, but forwarded by two Google VPs to more staff members throughout the company, Tucker Carlson reported. 
adding, quote, in her email, Mario touts Google's multifaceted efforts to boost Hispanic turnout in the election. She noticed that Latino voters did did record-breaking numbers, especially in states like Florida, Nevada, and Arizona, the last of which she described as a key state for us, end quote. She brags that the company used its power to ensure that millions of people saw certain hashtags and social media impressions with the goal of influencing their behavior during the election, end quote. Now, I hope this is not too convoluted. Let that sink in for a moment. The owner of the most widely used search engine available on the Internet, meaning they influence the behaviors and the, in the information provided to millions and millions of people, millions and millions of voters who trust that they're going to get a wide variety of opinions, ideas, facts, stories, and so on and so forth when they search something on Google. They were intentionally trying to boost Hispanic turnout with the stated goal of helping Hillary Clinton to win. They were trying to create Google results, not just provide them, to create them. Elsewhere in the email, exposed by Tucker Carlson yesterday or on Monday, uh, Mario says, quote, Google supported partners like Voto Latino to pay for rides to the polls in key states. She describes this assistance as a, quote, silent donation. In other words, funds that were donated to a political action group that were not reported, not made public. Mario then says that Google created, or excuse me, helped Voto Latino create ad campaigns to promote those rides as well. Now, officially, Voto Latino is a nonpartisan entity, but as you know, that's a sham. Voto Latino is vocally partisan. Recently, the group declared that Hispanics, all Hispanics, are in President Trump's crosshairs. That's a direct quote. They said that they plan to respond to this by registering another million additional Hispanic voters in the next presidential cycle. Voto Latino is a hyper-partisan Hispanic voting advocacy organization that is being funded and supported by Google which is supposed to be a nonpartisan search engine. This was, in effect, because they donated to this organization an in-kind contribution to the Hillary Clinton for President campaign, something that would have had to be reported. In the end, Google was disappointed, as Mario herself conceded in the email, quote, ultimately after all was said and done, the Latino community did not come out to vote and completely surprised us. We never anticipated that 29% of Latinos would vote for Trump. No one did. End quote. This is a pretty staggering story, and I hope you understand the implications of it. Google has been exposed. Their intentions, legal and illegal, laid bare for all to see. When you hear people complaining about collusion to help Donald Trump win the presidency, whether it be with foreign entities or anyone else, 
when you hear about that, I hope to goodness you uh, uh, you you are armed with the competing information, not even competing, with the truth of the situation. There were more entities illegal colluding on behalf of Hillary Clinton from search engines like Google, massive tech giants, multi-billion dollar companies like Google, multi-billion dollar companies like Twitter, multi-billion dollar companies like Facebook, who censored conservative thought going into the 2016 election, who tried to limit Donald Trump's access to Donald Trump and to those who support Donald Trump, to search engines like Google, who tried to manipulate what you can and cannot see, to flat-out donations, illegal in-kind donations that were not reported, illegal because they were not reported, in order to help Hillary Clinton win the presidency. Understand and share that with people who try to tell you collusion, collusion, collusion. Election meddling is going on right here in the United States. Forget about Russia, which, by the way, did collude along, in a manner of speaking, with Great Britain on behalf of Hillary Clinton, because Christopher Steele, the former British spy, worked with Fusion GPS to provide the phony Trump dossier filled with information provided by Russians. There was foreign collusion, but it was for Hillary Clinton. Add to that the collusion by Silicon Valley, by Google, by Twitter, by Facebook, and by Apple, and by more. This isn't the first evidence of Google doing everything they could to help Hillary Clinton win the election, by the way. Zero Hedge reminding us, that in an April 15, 2014 email from the then-Google executive chairman Eric Schmidt, found in the WikiLeaked Podesta emails entitled Notes for a 2016 Democratic Campaign, Schmidt tells Cheryl Mills, quote, I've put to you, this is the chairman of Google, executive chairman of Google at the time, Eric Schmidt, I've put together my thoughts on the campaign ideas, and I have scheduled some meetings in the next few weeks for veterans of the campaign to tell me how to make these ideas better. This is simply a draft, but do let me know if this is a helpful process for you all. Google actively working, this is the executive chairman working with the Clinton campaign. And then, as I said, skewing search results and information online The most popular search engine, the most popular website probably on the planet is Google. Because again, it is, you know, you don't, you don't search anything, you Google things. That's just it. Eric Schmidt, Schmidt of, uh, or of, uh, of, uh, Google rather, uh, using, as exposed by WikiLeaks, using his platform to try to conspire against Donald Trump. And now Tucker Carlson has blown the lid off of Google's uh, chicanery, as well as their donations to Hispanic voting advocacy groups in order to try to stop Donald Trump and elect Hillary Clinton. Don't trust big tech ever. And I'll say this. Hand in the air. Guilty. I am guilty. I use it all the time. I use their browser, Google Chrome, all the time. I've got to stop. We all do. We have to. It's kind of like crack. We got to wean ourselves off of it. Find new search engines. Find new browsers. Find things that work just as effectively for you. Because the more we use Google, the more powerful they get, and the more powerful they get, the more they can negatively impact our country on behalf of liberal causes that they support. 
All right, had to share that. Thanks to Tucker for all that great work he did. I hope I did it justice by giving you the details without playing the segment live for you. 10.50 now, we'll get traffic here, and then on the other side, we'll wrap it up with a few phone calls on AM 1420 The Answer. Ten fifty three now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty the answer final segment of the broadcast for this Wednesday morning. Well, I'm Mike Gallagher coming your way right after the top of the hour. Um, I want to go to the phones as I mentioned. Uh, and first, it's going to be uh, Mike who's calling us from Akron right here on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Mike, thanks for calling. Go ahead, you're on the air. Hi, Bob. Great show. You do a great job. You're an important important voice. I follow you on Twitter. Just want to thank you for that. And I uh, just want to say, you know, it's, it's so difficult to find. I mean, the liberals have a monopoly on, on so much of the social media. And you look at Firefox. There, is it Firefox is a, is a browser yes. also? Fire, Firefox is a, is, a, is a browser, yes. Yeah. They pushed out their CEO because he made a donation to support uh, same-sex marriage in California. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, I hope, I hope that guy is starting a conservative browser. And, you know, they... The, the, the conservative talk show is so powerful that if if a billionaire or a, a smart tech investor came up with a conservative browser and said, look, you know, we're conservative and, and we're fair, we're not trying to push anything anywhere, um, I think people would flock to that or they would, and, and it would hurt Google. But I don't understand why someone doesn't come up with conservative versions of, you know, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Google, Firefox, and, and some of these other... You know, well, the the only the only problem with that, uh, and I don't disagree with you, but it's just it's hard to run a race against somebody who has a fifty yard head start. If it's a hundred 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 yard race or hundred meters, I guess. I agree. If somebody has already, and that's the thing, Twitter already has tens of millions. I mean, Donald Trump has fifty four million Twitter followers, for example. LeBron James has maybe a hundred million. Um, and I'm throwing those numbers out there. If, mm-hmm. What do you think would happen if Donald Trump started tweeting on another? type of Twitter. I mean, millions of people would start following him on that. Millions you know, of people would follow him, right, but I don't know that that millions of people would just switch over and have and have the, you know, quote-unquote conservative, non-censored version be their pr- primary format because they're so used to and they've already built up their own followings right. and their own right, you know, right. their own relationships. Same thing with Facebook and the same thing I suggest I would suspect with Google because it's become, you know, there are other, other uh, search engines like Bing, I think, is another one of the more popular ones, but mm-hmm. nobody says, I'm going to Bing that. And, and and tell you what I find. Uh, Google is so over the top popular and and used overused that it's its own verb. Like I said, I'm going to Google that. And so you could start Bob, something like new you if you wanted, said. but I it's going to be should, very good. I think we should start saying that. I'm going to bing that. I think that's <laughs> something we start doing because I like it. I think it's got a good ring. No pun intended. But uh, I'm going to start saying that because you know, I mean. My, it's my, isn't that Microsoft owned thing? I think so. I think it is. Yeah. So uh, there we go. Maybe but the, but, but the thing is, though, part. Mike, the thing is, though, Mike, you know, you could start using it and I could start using that term and that's fine. But until Jimmy Fallon is using it on The Tonight Show and until, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh, Dennis Prager, uh, Sean Hannity and massive numbers of conservative media personalities are saying, I'm going to bing that or I used bing. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not going to gain traction right. again because of the 50 yard head start well, that Google has. 
conservative talk radio is a powerful, powerful voice. If they got behind, if somebody like Bing was smart, they got behind, so you know, the support of conservative talk radio. I think it could, uh, it, it can move the needle. Anyhow, hey, thanks. Well, for and, the, show. and the other thing too, Mike. Thanks for the call. The other thing I would do is I would have to look at Bing. I, I just, again, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. And just kind of following the crowd. The popular thing is to Google things and to use Google Chrome and whatnot. But I would have to look at Bing side by side. Let's enter the same search term in Bing that you enter in Google and look at them side by side and see how the results change. Because if Bing is doing the same thing that Google is, and Microsoft being, again, a Silicon Valley tech giant is, is, is maybe perhaps in the same vein, knowing who their audience is, knowing what they want to appeal to, it might not do any better. I will say this, though, about browsers, because as I said, I use, um, I use um, uh, Google Chrome as, as my primary browser. I also have Microsoft's uh, browser on there. What is theirs called? It's Edge. I think it's Microsoft Edge now, and you can try Firefox. And again, I, I don't know if there's any difference between them, but I, I will tell you one that I've heard, and I'm not paid to say this. This is just what I've been told, and, um, and, and, uh, and I've downloaded a while ago, and I haven't explored it much since then. There's another browser out there that's called, um, uh, I want to say, is it Brave? It's called Brave, I think. And, and from what I was told, it's a version of a you know conservative slant or whatever you want to call it on browsers that is more conservative friendly or at least it's not a wildly liberal company that's going to skew things uh, but i haven't used it enough i downloaded it a while ago and i have i started to use it but i haven't used it enough to know how effective it is or and so on but there is in other words there are some that we can at least explore and see if there are companies out there that perhaps you know we can take a little bite or nibble anyway out of the uh, revenues of the likes of of google and twitter and all of these other things so i would at least explore those things all right that's all the time we've got. The music is playing. Mike Gallagher will not be denied. He's coming up next right here on AM 1420, The Answer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.